Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All right, if you want to turn with me over to Luke chapter 4. We, are, we have finished our kingdom series, and right now we are going to just give a brief Luke overview for those of you who have missed the series that we've, we were in prior to the kingdom series. Um, if Brian and Brett and Heather and Allie would just come forward at this point, we're going to share some testimonies of what God's done in their lives as part of this, this series. One of the things that we look at in Luke is the way in which God has continued to love and pursue people. And one of the ways that he does that is isn't only, not only do we read that in his word, but we also see that in real life. And so... Um, if you guys just want to come forward, we have the mic. We're going to just share, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to share a couple of testimonies of what God has done in different people's lives. So let's just pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for the way in which you continue to minister and work by your Spirit in the lives of the people around us. God, we thank you for the church in a tezzy tezzy. God, we pray that they would be so blessed. God, that you would stir their hearts up to faith and good works, Lord, that they would continue to to minister, that this completed roof, God, would bring a greater dimension of ministry than they'd ever been able to do before. And God, we pray that that church would be a light in that place. God, we pray for our own hearts today, Lord, that you would prepare us for your word. And God, thank you that you are continuing to work in our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're just going to share a couple of of brief testimonies here. Yep. Hi, my name's Allie. Um, Johnny asked me to share my testimony this week, and at first I thought, okay, I'll share about one day that I got saved. And um, actually, when I think about it, when I started to think about it, there are a lot of things that led up to that point. Um, And I had never really thought about it before, so I was kind of excited to uh, think back on that. And so I never, I didn't really grow up in a church, and um, it was when I was in middle school that my brothers uh, became saved by our neighbor Herman Zeldenrust. I don't know, some of you might know him, but um, he talked to my oldest brother Jeff, and then Jeff talked to my brothers, and then they talked to me, and um, that's kind of how we got plugged into Living Word. And so um, my brothers were saved, and they got involved in FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and they met at our house. And it's funny that Todd's here because he always reminds me that I was running around as a middle schooler, kind of in and out of the meetings, not really knowing what's going on. But I got to hear them pray and talk about godly things. Um, and it got kind of got me thinking. Um, and I looked at my brothers. They got baptized. They started going on mission trips. And so I thought, well, maybe it's time for me to get baptized. So um, as a freshman in high school, I got baptized. And I think I understood just briefly of what that meant um, and not really knowing what to do from there or where to go or how to really live my life to glorify the Lord. Um, And so I got baptized and then I was like, okay, where do I go? So um, as as I was in high school, I lived for myself and um, kind of did my own thing. I was a partier. um, I had parties while my mom was out of town. Um, I had a bunch of boyfriends, um, and 
On Sundays, I would go to church at Living Word, and every Sunday that I went, I would feel completely convicted, and um, I would just cry because I knew that I was living for myself and not for the Lord. And but I didn't want to change my ways. I didn't want to um, give up what I was what I was doing for myself. Um, and I thought about omitting this little part of my story, but I talked to Matt, and he said, "No, people like honesty. They like." to hear the truth. And so um, there was one night where I went to a party and I was over the toilet puking. Um, and I thought to myself, what am I doing? Why, why am I doing this to myself? It's not pleasurable. I'm sitting here over a toilet. It's dirty. I feel dirty. It was disgusting. And so at, the, at that time, I um, got, God completely got rid of this desire for me to drink. And at the time, I thought, oh, you know, this is great. I, I won't do it anymore. Um, but looking back on it, I think that so the Lord, um, he got rid of that desire for me. Cold turkey. Like, I didn't I didn't stumble at all in that. And so high school, I was this big partier. And then I went to college, um, and I my brother Tom went to Eastern, and I went there with him. And um, he kind of got me plugged into Christian Campus House there. And I completely gave my life to the Lord and grew a ton, um, and so I'm very thankful for that. And it's kind of a backward story because most people go to college and that's when they, you know, get into the party scene. But he, Tom, helped me and you know, and invited me to the to Christian Campus House, and I met some people, and they became my roommates, and I still keep in touch with them today. And so I finally understood what it meant to be saved and what it meant to. Um, live my life for God and not for myself. And one thing that came from that is uh, relationships were broken with friends from high school who were still in the same lifestyle, but I also gained many Christian relationships, so I value that. And Matt became saved shortly after we started dating, um, so that was that was a testimony for him too. But the main point of this is that God saved me from myself. He saved me from hell. And it was nothing that I did or could have done or could have said or anything. Um, It was a gift from God, and I'm very thankful. And I look at it as a miracle. I think anybody getting saved is a miracle because your life could be so different. And I also think about our whole family. Uh, Me and my three brothers were were all saved. And I I look at other families, and I think that doesn't happen too often. So I give the glory to God for that. And one thing I just wanted to share was uh, Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. So again, there's nothing we can do um, or say, but God just, he saves us, and everything is under his control, and nothing happens without his permission. So. Hi, I'm Brian. John wanted me to share my testimony also, and mine is a little bit different than that because I was, uh, I grew up in the church. I went to church my whole life. My parents were active members of our church that we grew up in, was involved in things. I went on missions trips. I was involved in, uh, in our youth group. I was very active in that, and I felt like I had a relationship with Christ, but what was missing was that it wasn't real, and I, I'll, I'll get to that in a, in a second because when I left for college, I still remember the moment thinking, I don't know if I'm ready for this or not. I went to University of Illinois in Champaign. I had a full-ride scholarship to go, and I moved into a house full of people, about 110 people total. And of those people, I, couldn't, I wouldn't have been able to tell if one was a Christian. Even my brother, my older brother was there too, and he was a Christian too, but 
we didn't have that a connection and we didn't feel like we could stick out like a light and I just felt overwhelmed by the things that I saw. So quickly I became active in partying and doing things that I never thought I would do. That, like the 15-year-old me seeing the 19-year-old me would have been shocked and, uh, and dismayed by what he saw. Like it wouldn't, it wouldn't have made sense. But what I did realize is that at some point I had a similar moment where I was partying and I was with people and I was like, freshmen were coming in and they would come to me and say, oh, I would identify myself as a Christian. They were like, they would look at me like, no, that doesn't make any sense. Like, you, you can't be. You're not, you're not, are you? And I'm like, yeah. I went to church my whole life and I explained to them and I thought, what I'm saying is one thing, but what I'm living is com- something completely different. So those two things were not, they weren't adding up for me. Um, so around my sophomore year in college, it was the, the semester break. I came back and I just had a moment where I was like, you know, I felt like God was really speaking to me about not living what I practiced or practicing what I preached. So I had a similar moment where from that moment on, I was like done with everything that I'd done. Got involved with some church campus ministries there. You know, I'd like to say it was all perfect after that, but I think what it was more or less is that I've opened my heart to change. And I know that God is changing and he's actively changing all of us. I wanted to share one um, specific a quote that really sticks to me, or sticks with me, and it's the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And I think that's what stuck with me. When I hear things like that, it really comes true on a daily basis, at work, with my family, with other things. I want to live like an open book. to be able to share my life with people, share my struggles with people, and not feel like I'm living here, I'm in this building, and I'm a Christian. But when I walk out the door, I'm doing something completely different. So that's my testimony. And I think, like Michelle was saying earlier, it's a struggle. I mean, I would say that it wasn't a, an epiphany moment where I felt like, you know, the, the light was shining from above and, you know, God shone upon me. But it was like, I, I feel very strongly that it was the people that were in my life growing up that kept praying for me, and they knew that there was something that was missing and that they kept and that I guess that's my encouragement for all of us is that we don't give up on people that we think are too far gone and that we're willing to be out there and you know pray and keep praying and keep praying and keep praying keep hoping because nothing is impossible for God and he's got the power to do everything that we didn't think was imaginable so that's my testimony in a nutshell and be glad to share anything else with you I'm sure I left some things out but basically it's it's kind of a cautionary tale for people also is with my kids now, I have four kids, and what I'm planning on doing with them and what we've continued doing with them is just sharing our lives with them like an open book. I don't want to pretend that the things that happened to me in the past never happened. I want to share the things that did happen to me so that hopefully they don't make the same mistakes that I did. So I would, I would just pray that you keep praying for me and that we keep praying for each other and encouraging each other in that way, that we can live here the same way that we live outside. Good morning. I'm Brett. This is my wife, Heather. Um, many of you guys uh, know us, and some of you were, were with us through some of the times, and uh, you've you've heard this testimony before. But you know, Johnny specifically called and asked this week if we could uh, share again, just to speak about what God does through seemingly impossible times. Say so for Heather and I both, we we grew up in Christian homes, and you know, had had a lot of good Christian experiences, so to speak, and raised well, spent a lot of time in church. 
and part of that I think was that was hard because we we knew I guess knew the right answers knew knew the way to uh, to live so to speak and shortly after we got married tried having kids and um, for <laughs> for many years struggled with uh, with just uh, problems with fertility and uh, miscarriages and I, I think we went through about eight years and, and eight miscarriages, not understanding why why God would give us desire to have children and then and have us go through the struggle. Um, and it's you know it's very hard to see that when you're when you're in the midst of it, what good could possibly come? There's a great deal of hurt. I think at times our relationship suffered, and certainly the relationship we had with um, with other people and with church, we we go through times where we just we didn't want to talk to anybody else because you know inevitably somebody would say, "Oh, you guys have been married for a while. When are you going to have kids?" Not you know, not knowing what we're going through. You know, that was really hard on Heather and, um, you know, for myself to see her go through that kind of pain each time somebody would mention it. But um, shortly after we we started working on the church plant for Mercy Hill, we had really been convicted to start sharing everything that we were going through. So with, with home group and, you know, further out into the churches, we had a lot of a lot of people know what was going on rather than keeping them shut out and um, just had an incredible relief uh, from that to, to truly share uh, with each other. As we kept going, Heather had gone to some doctors. We found some some problems, and, and they had said, you know, it's not going to be very likely. They even, you know, they said, if it happens, you're going to be on some pretty nasty drugs, and you just, you don't know how it's going to work, and it was a few months after we found that out that um, we were meeting with another doctor, and she's like, well, I, she liked to do all her own tests. So all, all the stuff she had been tested for, she got tested for again. And um, she said, no, you, this is not a problem. You don't have this anymore. And uh, we, we said, this is it's crazy. It's, it's something that when the doctors find it, they don't have a cure. You don't get cured from this. You have it for the rest of your life. And, and, um, they still won't let me give blood. <laughs> I had this blood disorder. So um, the doctors, other doctors don't believe that um, that I'm healed. But obviously I was. So <laughs> so a few tests later, you know, just to, to double check and everything, this um, this particular disease, it's it's gone. She's been healed. And um, through that through that healing and I think through all the, the sharing and the, the repairing and relationships, um, yeah, we've now got a beautiful girl who's downstairs. So, um, let me see, 20, 20 months. So she's celebrate two years in September and just, I mean, what God's done in our lives through this, to, to get through the situation and to, to be able to look back and go, we now have an incredible testimony 
<laughs> it's going to be with us for the rest of our lives as she grows older, just to be able to share with people and say, you know, to sit with peop- other people who are going through hurt and suffering that there's a God that is so much greater. You may not be able to see it at the time, but he will use these things that he'll put you through for good, good things in this world. I just wanted to add that while we were in our situation, one of the things that, before we started to share, one of the things that came very clear to us was that we had to trust that God was who he was and would do what he says he was going to do. So many times it's easy to get into a situation where you, you're you're lost and you think, well, God doesn't love me or why me? Why am I going through this? Why have I had this loss? Why? What has happened? And one of the things that was just such a comfort was that if this isn't what God has for me, then he's got something so much better. And, and I couldn't see that at the beginning for the first five years or so. It was just you know, why is he doing this to me? I, I work with children with special needs, and I'd see parents who were just abusive or didn't care, neglecting their children, and I'd say, why do they get to have kids, and why can't I? And then and then we got to a point, I, I was reading Job, and, you know, not exactly a cheer-me-up sort of story, but at the end he says, now I have seen, I, I thought I understood, I thought I knew, but now I've seen and now my ears have heard of your glory and I will rejoice. And it wasn't while he was like, um, it wasn't everything was given back to him and then he said that. It was, he chose to rejoice in his circumstances and that's what we had to do. We had to rejoice in our circumstances rather than sitting back and thinking about, oh, woe is me, we had to say, God is good, and this is good. I can't see it. I don't understand why we had to lose another baby. I don't, I don't understand any of this situation, but I can say that God is good no matter what I can see. And that was really, once we came to that point, it became not a problem to share with other people because our God was good. It wasn't us saying, oh, look at what he's done. Look at what's been done to us, and look at our bad situation. It was it doesn't matter. God is good. Even though I don't have kids, God is good. And so now, even 10 years later, <laughs> I, can, I can have my daughter and say, yeah, God is good. But back then, I could say God is good, too, because I had to choose to see who he was and what he said he would do. Thanks for sharing. All right, you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 4, look at verse 16 through 21. Here in this passage, we see Jesus Christ standing up and addressing the people in the synagogue, and this is really his first sermon, his first message to the people. And this is what Jesus says. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind 
to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so here we see Jesus Christ for the, really the first time talking about what did he come to do? What is his mission statement? What is Jesus' purpose for coming? And he says, I'm here to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He is preaching the guy, he's preaching the good news to people. He says, This is what I've come to do. And in the testimonies we heard today, Jesus Christ is still doing this very thing. He's setting people free from the bondage of sin. He's redeeming people for himself. He's proclaiming the good news that there is life in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is on mission, and he's still on mission. I want to just look at briefly two passages in Luke 5 and in Luke 7. Speaking about what Jesus, what he said he came to do, and then what Jesus did. And so in Luke chapter 5, we see Jesus in the paralytic. You don't have to turn there. But Jesus in the paralytic. And if you remember, Jesus is, is at a house. He's teaching, surrounded by a bunch of Pharisees and a bunch of teachers and, and people who knew the word of God. And then in comes this guy who is sick and he's unable to get off his, his bed. There's no place for him. So his friends lower him down through the roof. And Jesus Christ turns to this guy who has just come down through the roof, this packed house, and what does he say? He says, your sins are forgiven. Which at that point, everyone around him gets upset. They're like, who is this guy to forgive sins? And then Jesus says, so that you may know that what I'm speaking is true, get off your mat and go home. And the guy gets up and goes home. And here we see Jesus doing the very thing that he said he was going to do in Luke chapter 4. He's doing this very thing. Let's look over at chapter 7, the sinful woman. Jesus at a party with a bunch of Pharisees. He's surrounded by people who knew the law, who knew the word of God, who were kind of the religious people of the day. And in comes this sinful woman. And the writer of this, of this gospel makes especially clear that we know this person's a sinful woman. The Pharisee says she's a sinner. Jesus says she's a sinner. Luke, who wrote the gospel, says this woman's a sinful woman. She's a woman of the city. We can only imagine what that means. And here she is. She comes in, and there's this party full of people, and everyone's talking, hanging out, having a good time. And this woman comes in, and she begins to weep at the feet of Jesus. And she lets her hair down and she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. And you can just imagine how things got a little bit awkward at that moment. It wasn't like normal back then. It would have been as awkward today if someone were at a party and someone walks in and starts crying at someone's feet and wiping their feet with their hair. That would that'd be a little bit awkward for anybody. This was awkward. And the Pharisees were indignant. 
Who is this woman? This woman's a sinner. If Jesus knew who this woman was, he would not allow allow her to touch him. But Jesus goes on and he says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Forgives sins and blesses her. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. That no matter where we are, no matter what we have done, the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ reaches us right where we are at. We heard the different testimonies of Brian and Allie, how God reached out to them right where they were at. God reached out to them, right? As Allie's puking over that toilet, God reaches out to her. As Brian's living in a house full of guys who are not following the Lord, God reaches him. Changes their lives. Turns them, turns them back to him again. This is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. This is the very hope that we have in Jesus Christ. This is the hope that we have. And he is calling, he is calling you and I to be ministers of the same hope. He is calling you and I to be the same ministers of this hope. This hope that can, to, to, that can reach Allie right where she's at. This hope that can reach Brian. This hope that gives, gives Brett and Heather an opportunity to look to Jesus. He is giving us this opportunity to communicate this to people. It's not just good news that was good news in the Bible. And it was good news for these people and it was nice for them. This is good news for all of us. Good news for all people. It's the radical nature of who Jesus is. But we also see in Luke chapter 8, we see Jesus do a number of things. At the very beginning of Luke chapter 8, we see Jesus do a, some things. He calms a storm with his disciples. If you remember, Jesus is on a boat in his lake. And the water's getting rough, and these guys were, were, were fishermen. They knew the lake, but they were terrified of dying. Jesus calm, just simply speaks a word and calms the storm. Then Jesus reaches a, a place where there's a, a guy full of demons that come, comes out to meet him. Jesus simply speaks the word and casts the demons out. Then he, re, then he goes and talks to a woman who's an unclean woman who has an issue of blood. She's healed. Then Jairus' daughter, who is on her deathbed, passes away. And Jesus goes and raises her back to life again. And in, this, in these passages, we see, we see this. That Jesus is sovereign over all things. He's supreme power and authority over everything. Over everything. And that's really what we highlight in Brett and Heather's testimony. There is a God who is sovereign even over their lives, even over their, over their ability to have children. God is sovereign over all these things. He speaks to calm a storm. He speaks to cast out demons. When people are healed. People are brought back to life. Jesus is in control of everything. And one of the things I want to just encourage you with today is this. That often we, we say this and we sing this and we know it's Jesus is sovereign, Jesus is Lord, he's all-powerful. Okay, we get that, let's move on to something else. But when the time comes of, of, of trial 
or the time comes where there's, there's real pain in our lives, so often this doctrine, this understanding of God's sovereignty gets lost or it's kind of muddled. God, where are you? Why would you allow this to happen? In Brett and Heather's life, there's, God, why would you even allow that person to ask us that question, knowing that's going to hurt so deeply? Why does it have to be this way? And we can forget that somehow in the midst of this, God is in control. And it doesn't mean that the pain isn't real. It doesn't mean the hurt just disappears. But somehow in the midst of this, God is in control. And there's a comfort there for us. There's a comfort there for us knowing that God is in control. Is he really sovereign over all things? Is he really the supreme power and authority over everything, even sickness and loss? Does God really have a purpose in it? And I want to encourage you today that wherever you are at right now, the different parts of your life where you think, man, this is painful. I've experienced loss in this area of my life. I don't know why this is happening. Remember that God is in control. He's in control. He is always in control. I think about my own kids and just trying to parent my kids, trying to parent our children and just really seeking to instill upon them a love for God and understanding of his word and all these things that good parents do and trying to keep up with all the good things. One thing I can forget is the fact that God's sovereign. God's sovereign even over my parenting. Some of you parents feel like, man, if I've got to do all these things right, I've got to bring them to church every week and make sure we read the Bible together every night and we make sure we, we pray before we go to bed and we've got to make sure we do all these things on and on and on, good things, important things. But then we forget that ultimately God is sovereign over our kids. That even in my failures, God is still in control. He is still working in our lives. Some of you feel the weight of disappointment, of feeling like, you know what? I have failed as a parent. I have not done any of these things to care for my kids. I haven't read the word of God to them, or I got saved later in life, and therefore they didn't grow up in a Christian home, and, and feeling all these, like, this guilt of, I've, I've, I've missed it. I've, I've screwed them up. Remember that God is sovereign, even in our parenting. He is sovereign in our kids' lives. So the question for us is, do we trust God's supreme goodness and mercy in our lives? We can just acknowledge, okay, we do, we do. But what happens in those times of testing? Fear, the worry, is Jesus really in control? And when my own family, especially my mom's side of the family, um, they, can be a, they can be a bit worried about people getting sick. And I know I've said this before, but... You know, my mom's family, it's like if you get a pain or something, if you're like a family get together and someone's got a pain, it's like, oh man, you've got cancer. You're, you're going to, you know, we had, Ma, I got a pain in my arm. It's like, oh, you know, you, we've got a cousin because we've got a big family. You had a cousin somewhere who had a pain in his arm and he died two days later. And therefore, you know, you need to get your things in order and you need to see the doctor and go see our cousin who's also some kind of medicine person and they'll take care of you and all this stuff and and so some of that I mean as ridiculous as it is some of that is like filtered over to me and so I'll be talking to Michelle I'm like honey 
I got this headache and I, it's not going away. And I, you know what? We need, might need to go into the, see the doctor. And, um, and she's like, honey, come on. Like, please, you're, you're fine. He's got a headache. You're, you're not going to die tomorrow. I don't, I know your, your cousin had, you know, a headache and he was, now he's dead. And it was, it was, you know, just nobody knew. And, um, but this thing, it's this, it's this real fear that can subtly creep into your life. And it's, it's, it can seem ridiculous at times, but when we begin to really think about the things that we're afraid of, we begin to doubt God's control over the situation in my life. I mean, right? Isn't it what happens? We begin to forget about that God is in control and we begin to focus in on this problem. And so the problem isn't just a fear problem. What it is, it's the problem is, is a lack of belief. It's disbelief in God's ability to provide and care for and order my life. It's disbelief. And so I want to encourage you as well. In those times in your life, when, you, when we, are, we are tempted to, to not believe in God's sovereignty and provision in our lives, we need to repent. And we need to seek the Lord and ask Him for grace that we would trust in Him with all of our hearts. That even in the difficulty, even in the pain, that we would be able to trust God and His goodness in our lives. This is the way that we submit ourselves to the Lord. This is how we submit our lives to the Lord, that we would surrender everything to Him. We're going to take communion as we close before the ceiling really does fall apart and cave in on everybody. But I want you to remember today that we have an opportunity to see the work of God continuing to reach people. I think it was Brian that said this, that no one is outside of the grace of God. That God can reach people no matter where they are, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done. Even while they're puking over a toilet, God can still reach somebody. So we can't forget about that. I also want us to remember that God is supremely in charge over every area of our lives and that we can trust him with our lives. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning and we thank you that you are in control. God, we thank you that you love us and care for us. And God, I pray that you would help us to be ministers of your gospel, that we would be the ones who would take the good news that you've given to us and bring that to other people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.